As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training, kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway, in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. Welcome to the Rocket Ship Podcast. I'm Michael Socker. I'm Joelle Steiniger. And I'm Matt Goldman. We're having 20-minute talks with entrepreneurs teaching you how to launch your product into revenue. Check out our book at buildarocketship.com to reserve your launch discount and download a free chapter. Today we talked with Jason Roberts, serial entrepreneur, one of the first developers at Uber, and host of the Texing Podcast. He shared some great stories about his experiences on both sides of the funding table. He also talks about how he screwed up a potential Google acquisition for his product Prezo and why he turned down the CTO position at Uber. Really awesome talk with Jason. We'd like to take a moment to thank our awesome sponsors. CodeShip makes continuous delivery simple and easy. 
Go to CodeShip.com slash RocketShip to get 20% off three months. We'd also like to thank Envision App. Envision is by far the best prototyping and collaboration tool on the market. Go to Envision App forward slash RocketShip to get the starter plan free for 90 days. Customer.io is a modern email platform built for startups. Go to Customer.io slash RocketShip to start sending emails that convert. Welcome to the Rocketship Podcast. We're here with Jason Roberts, one of the first developers at Uber, uh, an entrepreneur and the co-host of TechZing. What, Jason, welcome. Oh, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So um, one of your newest, um, I guess, investments is in this project called Code Club. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, it's actually called, I, I think the current name of it is MV Code Club. It was started at a Mill Valley, which is just... Uh, outside of San Francisco. Okay. And it's just sort of this local little thing. Um, uh, so I had started a, an after-school code club for kids local to where, where I live, um, you know, once a week. And I, and I would do this, you know, every Tuesday night for, for, for about the past couple of years. And a buddy of mine who I had gone to college with um, sort of was and saw a few posts of mine where I talked about doing this. And he says, hey, that's kind of cool. I have a 10-year-old son or 9-year-old son who's doing this kind of, who wants to learn to code. So maybe I'll do that and get a couple of his friends to join in. And we went up and visited um, this past October, and I talked to him about it. And I said, so how's, you know, how's that going? He's like, yeah, he's got like, we have like 12 kids, and, and it's every Tuesday night, and it's, it's insane. Kids are just so exhausting. And, you know, I'm trying to figure out what the heck I'm going to teach them. And it was just sort of this crazy thing. And then... I found out that he was actually charging real money. Like I wasn't really charging any money for it. <laughs> so I, at that time, I'm like, you know, you should like go get a location. You know, if, if parents are willing to pay for this, just go and, and um, do it. You know, go and open a, open a whatever, a retail location. And so he did. And then he contacted me. We kind of kept in a little bit in touch with, he started talking to me back in the spring, in, 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 this past spring. And he's like, yeah, it's starting to grow and, we have like 40 kids now or 50 kids or whatever it is. And, and, and I think it got to the summer. I, I, I was at, it was funny. It was in June and we, we were down at Disneyland with the kids and I get this call from him and he's like, Hey, I'm thinking about raising some money. And what do you think? And I was like, well, you know, I think, I think at the time he said there's like 80 kids or something. And it sounded like he was starting to make some decent money, you know, and he had a bunch of high school and college kids and a couple full-time people working for him. Um, you know, and, and the thing about like this kind of operation, it's not like a SaaS or mobile app. I mean, it's a lot of damn work, you know, when you actually have a commercial lease and you got equipment and you got staff and, you know, it's a, it's a lot, of, lot, of, lot, it's a lot. And he's kind of feeling overwhelmed and everything. And he's like kind of thinking like, should I go nonprofit? And just try and get in with the schools, or should I like try and raise money? And what should I do? And I was like, well, look, if you're gonna try and raise money, I don't think you're gonna be able to raise like formal angel money with one location. And it's just too mom and pop, right? I mean, they're gonna want to see some type of scale. So you need to show that you can replicate this model from you know this little location you have, you know, a few blocks from your house into something bigger. Totally. And yeah, and so. I was like, you know, because if you go and you try and, you know, get an angel list and you start trying to have meetings and stuff, you're going to run around for the next six to eight months and they're going to keep telling you the same thing and you're just going to waste a lot of time, which you should, it's time you should have spent probably building up the business, trying to open another location or trying to get more kids or whatever. And I said, so what you should do maybe is go try and raise 
I don't know, fifty to seventy-five thousand um, enough to raise one more location at least, or at least get get it started in a new location. And once you get to three, I think once you show you have three locations, I think then you'd be in a position to talk to professional investors. And he's like, yeah, that makes sense. And I said, but you mean you could probably do that with like two or three friends, you know, two or three. Put an asterisk next to that advice because I think I'd like to put some money in. Mm. Um, and he kind of mm. laughed and he's like, and, and I was thinking about it, I was like, you know, because this is the one business I understood, you know, because I've been doing the same damn thing for the past two years, but just not as a business, more as a, as a sort of an after school club. And so I texted him back and I was like, hey, Doug, how about, you know, how about I throw in, you know, 50,000 for 10%? <laughs> and then there's just sort of like this, Text back processing dot dot dot. You know he's like <laughs> what? <laughs> and I'm like, don't think too hard about it. I didn't like you know. I think that's a really you know fair valuation or whatever. Like let's just do it. Like I'll I'll give you some money. You go and just like build the business. Don't worry about talking to investors and wasting a lot of time. And so we negotiated a little bit. We went back and forth, and he was like, and it's funny. My wife was in the tea, the spinning teacup line with a kid. Yeah, I had had it with the spinning rides. I was about to get sick to my stomach. And so then I I walk over to her and it and because he had texted me back, he's like, Is this been approved by the Roberts family board? And I go, Well, let me text. So I go over and I I say, Hey sweetheart, um, you know that money we made by investing in Tesla? And she's like, Yeah. I was like, I think we should take that money and invest in Doug's code club. Like, what? I mean, she had she gave me essentially the same sort of look of of just you know just thinking, are you serious? You know, like the same when I told her that we should put everything we had in the Tesla, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. and I said, look, trust me. And I so you know back when Tesla was like at thirty dollars and everybody nobody took paying attention to it, I was I had sort of I had watched a bunch of interviews with with Elon Musk, and I'm like, this guy is going all the way. Like I am I am all in with. Elon Musk. And so I went and told my wife, I'm like, look, I think we should put, we, we should invest in Tesla. She's like, okay, well, how much do you think we should put in? I'm like, everything. She's like, what? I'm like, put everything we have, which, you know, wasn't a lot, but I mean, you know, at the, at the time, you know, she was like, all right, fine. So as it turned out, we made enough money on that. I was like, you know, we could take that money and we made on Tesla and then just put it into 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 you know Mill Valley Code Club, and she's like, all right, you know, fine, you know, whatever. And so she goes back to the, you know we're getting in the ride with the kids, and I go back, and we sort of agree on the deal. Wow! And wow. it was really interesting because I I thought you know because a lot of times you know you, you talk to professional investors, and and first of all, investors usually and let's talk about angel investors. I mean VCs, that's a whole different world, but. Angels usually invest like a have a consistent bet size, whether it's twenty five or fifty thousand, and they you know invest in ten or twenty startups over a couple year period. Bets out, knowing that majority of them are going to fail. You know, this was like all the money we had <laughs> to invest. Yeah. Like that. When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices: construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country, or invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att.com.
business.att.com. That's business.att.com. Yeah. Was this your first angel investment? Yes. Yeah. And uh, so obviously it was less like an angel investment, but there's more like, you know, when you would hear about, you know, like companies starting in the past and be some guy has this idea and then a friend of his had some money and his friend bought, became a silent partner and put in like 50 or a hundred thousand dollars and owned a, you know, quarter or fifth of the business, that kind of thing, you know? And it's like mm-hmm. that other guy who put the money and wasn't like an angel investor looking at deal flow. He just was a guy who happened to have a little bit of money and was convinced to, you know, all right, I'll, I'll put some money in this thing. And I think if you look back at a lot of companies that exist now, you'll find there's similar stories to that. And so I think it was much more like that kind of thing, you know, cause you know, I put in literally, like I said, I mean, actually I talked my wife into putting, which was like literally <laughs> everything. <laughs> and uh, cause when I was talking to Doug about it, I was like, look, you know, I don't think 50 is enough. I mean, you're going to need at least 75 um, because it's expensive. These, you know, we started going over expenses and, you know, potential, th- you know, costs and whatever. And I also, I, I want to, you know, so I, I didn't want us to run out, put 50,000 in and then we run out of money and we take more money. And then it's like a down round kind of thing because mm-hmm. we're desperate. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I just make sure we have enough to get that second location up and going. Um, and, and be able to survive a few months if it's like we don't, we can't cover costs and that sort of thing. And, uh, yeah, so basically we, it was that simple. I mean, it was like a week of just kind of going back on some very small minor details. Like, well, how do we, we have a contract for this? What kind of a contract do we use? I mean, I was like on the web looking at like Y Combinator seed investment, you know, you, you've seen those yeah. things. Oh yeah. Those are great. Oh yeah. Those are great. Yeah, I was looking at those, but they look really complicated. So I sent like, I, I so I basically wrote up a two sentence I think it was literally two sentences. Two sentences. I said, "Look, I don't, I don't understand what these documents are saying. So here's, here's what it is. You know, Jason Roberts puts in seventy-five thousand for fifteen percent of, you know, the outstanding shares of Mill Valley Code Club, you know, Inc. <laughs> Whatever." Yeah. And that was yeah. it. And but we've since had to go back and um, and get it done professionally done with real, you know, highfalutin lawyers at charge of you know, a ton of money and get everything done professionally. But at least you want something that just says, this is what we did. Yeah. This is what we agreed to. Yeah. And, so, uh, and yeah. So, sorry. So go on. Sorry. No, go oh, on. Um, well, you've um, raised angel you've rounds yourself, yourself as well, yourself, right? As well, right? Uh, yeah. And again, it was less like, I think a lot of times when people think of, speak about angel round, I mean, this is sort of, it's sort of a fuzzy area, you know, like what's a, what's a friends and family or and it's it's it kind of depends on who you're talking to, like what counts as what. But um, I had my very first startup out of college. Um, I had an idea for a software startup, and this is back in '94. So there was a, there was no all this angel investing stuff. This is way before all that stuff was going on. And uh, a guy I knew, well, his father was super rich, and he had access to a lot of that capital, and essentially didn't work. And I said, hey, I got this idea, build a prototype. What do you think? And he's like, yeah. He's like, let's do it. And we're just lifting weights together. <laughs> that was the conversation. <laughs> we're like, I think we're in the middle of like doing bench press. <laughs> and he was doing a set. I'm like, hey, let me tell you this idea. <laughs> so I guess there's one way to convince someone to invest your money. Just get them like do a lot of heavy weight and right over their neck and then say, hey, how about you give me some money? You know, and then they're like, uh, okay, <laughs> I guess I have to. Um, so that, that was the first time. And then, um, this is like, 
oh, probably 10 years after that, another guy I knew um, had been wanting to invest in some stuff I had been doing. I had been doing a lot of this high-frequency trading stuff. And he was really interested in that and just like, hey, why don't, we, why don't I put some money into it? And I, at that time, decided that I wanted to move into the web, um, doing something on the web, because this was like 2004, 2000, yeah, end of 2003, 2004, when the, when the web was starting to wake up again. And I said, well, I, this is what I want to do. What do you think? And he was, at first he was just, I was actually just asking for advice because I was going to raise some money for some other people. And he's like, you know, he's like, you know what, why don't I just put some money, it'll be just the two of us, that would keep it simple. And I was like, great. And it was one of the perfect examples of, um, you know, if you want money, ask for advice. If you want advice, ask for money. Yeah. yeah. So I was not pitching him. I was eating. We talked about the idea and how to how to pitch and he just was like yeah i like the idea because he was you know because when because when, when somebody you you ask much for advice and, they, and you start taking their advice and they start really thinking through it then they become a little bit vested in the concept itself and, you know with me you know doug sort of used the same trick on me he said he, he called me up asking for advice and i gave him advice and then i decided i wanted to give him money you know um because yeah. he had been kind of asking my advice for the preceding months you know, about things. Cause I was one of the few people who had had experience and then, you know, building stuff and then teaching kids to code. And so, so he would call and just say, Hey, what do you think about this or that? And, uh, then when he called and asked about money, I was like, you know, I, you know, after 15 minutes of advising him, I'm like, dude, this, Hey, I want a piece of this actually. I think about it. So, um, so yeah, so I've been on both sides. I've, I've kind of, but, but they, but both sides have been very informal, right? It's been people I've known, I've, I've known personally, it's been friendly. They've been, you know, usually with a single investor, not with a whole, like us, not with a whole, you know, group of people. Um, so I, I don't know how you classify that. I mean, it's not really angel, but it's maybe a little bit more than friends and family when people put in hundreds of thousands of dollars or something. So uh, between these couple stories that you've just told and the talk we had before we started recording, you've had a lot of really interesting experiences. Um, and one in particular that I did want to ask you about while we've got you is um, regarding an article you wrote called How I Screwed Up My Google Acquisition. Can you uh, share a little bit about that? that? I mean, that's a link bait title if I've ever seen one. I would definitely click on that. <laughs> I knew that one was going to the number one in a hacker news when I wrote it. I would tell, I would tell my buddy about that, and I was just pointing to left field. I'm like, this is going all the way, I'm telling you. And when it, this, I don't know, now it's been like three years or something since I wrote it. And I, it literally was pinned to number one for like a day and a half. It was, it was really funny. Um, but yeah, so, you know, I, I, you know, I mentioned that I raised money from a, a second guy who was advising me, um, about how to raise money from other people. And he decided to put money in. Well, that was the venture that turned into, um, the, uh, well, at least the, the, the project ended up being, um, Prezo, which was a web-based version of PowerPoint. Okay. And, Initially, I had a couple different. We were. I was going along different. You know, I was. I was going after different problems. It was like the fourth pivot. You know, and a fourth pivot means like I completely changed ideas. Um, and it was back in uh, two thousand four five range, and it was back when Ajax was first starting to happen. But nobody. It didn't. Have, it wasn't even called Ajax. It was just like this weird magic that Google was using for on and on Gmail or uh, Google Maps or something. And uh, so I started playing around with stuff, and I realized that I could 
do this sort of like virtual whiteboard kind of thing. And then you could kind of do this sort of like drag and drop stuff. And I said, oh, this is almost like a PowerPoint slide. And then I started thinking, hey, you know, uh, Google is going to start doing, you know, with what they've done with Gmail, I'm like, they're going to come up with a web-based office. And, and I was thinking, you know, uh, Yahoo is probably going to jump in this because they, they were very much like a, a, a big player in the space at the time and just sort of like cutting edge web stuff. And if, if, G, if Google and Yahoo do it, then they're, they're going to suck Microsoft into doing something. And as long as I build like one of the top versions of like a, a, a key office component, um, and this is just something that will end up being bought and probably bought for a lot of money. And uh, so I started working on it, and I just basically was just me. Although there's one uh, guy that I was that I'd hired as a consultant who helped me maybe like ten hours a week um, with uh, just because there was so much coding to do, and it was uh, good to have a helping hand. Somebody who was really you know experienced, sharp developer like like this guy. Um, and anyway, so the ultimately I ended up debuting the product at the. I think it was October 2006 at the Office 2.0 conference, and Google came around and they saw it, and the guy who was the, the product manager for Google Docs um, basically walked up with his sort of entourage and was like, you know, hey, this looks, this is amazing, this is great, uh, you know, we need to get you up to the Googleplex, I want to introduce you to the Rightly guys. Um, Rightly was the company that was bought that became the Google Google uh, word processor. And uh, so there was a lot of back and forth and he was really high on, you know, Prezo and he was very high on me and was, you know, but what was happening was is that he was based out of New York because he, his company was the company that, that made the, the Google spreadsheet before it was bought by Google. And so they were still kind of based out of New York and then he was traveling around. So it ended up being a kind of situation where he couldn't get out to Mountain View. I guess they're Mountain View, right? I, I you know, wherever they are. Um, in Silicon Valley, but he's like, so he's like, I can't get up there. I'm going to Europe or wherever. So why I'm going to, you know, pass you on, you know, here, they're going to do their, uh, their biz dev guy, their acquisitions. People are going to talk to you and I'm going to have you talk to the, one of their directors of engineering the guy's name is David Glazier and, you know, and then, um, but good luck and let me know how it goes. And so, um, yeah, I had a couple of talks and then it went silent for, after I had a talk with their director. 20 minutes just telling me about Google as opposed to interviewing me. And then it just kind of went silent. And I made the mistake of not following up because, you know, when you're thinking about being acquired, you don't want to look too anxious because then they're going to just buy you up for pennies on the dollar. You know, if they're thinking all you're doing is looking for an exit, then they're like, okay, well, we don't have to pay them that much. But if, if, you, if they think you can make a run for it on your own and you have other options, then they know they're going to have to pay up. So I didn't want to, you know, come across as too anxious and so I didn't send an email to to Jonathan Rochelle, the 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 product, the you know the Google Docs product manager, and I didn't, uh, you know, so you know, and I just sort of let things lie. And I figured that he they would call me when they were ready. And then it was like two or three months passed, and then I read that they had purchased at Demo Day or a few days or just right after Demo Day, uh, Y Combinator started which was a very sort of nascent version of Prezo. And, uh, you know, and then it was just, I, I contacted, uh, I, I contacted Jonathan Rochelle, like, I don't know, a month or two after that or some point after that. And I asked him, I said, so what happened? He's like, you know, honestly, uh, you know, I didn't even know about it. It's like the left hand and the right hand aren't always talking at a company this size and things, lots going on. It's like, it just, 
you know, this happened. So, and that, and that, and then they can, that Zenter combined with their internal efforts, they weren't looking to buy anything after that. So it was just a lesson in like, to me, at least what I took from that was, you know, you, you, you don't want to come across as overly anxious, you know, in a negotiation, but you want to keep the line of communication open. I mean, there, nothing would have prevented me from sending an email a week or t- so after that, my initial talk with, with a, the engineering director and saying, hey, just wanted to touch base, um, you know, next month I want to find out are we still going to plan to uh, talk or, or whatever. But I didn't even do that, and that was dumb. And uh, so I think it's a good lesson is that even if you think you got a great, you know, company for acquisition target and everything's going, you got to keep the lines of communication open. You know, so that's that's pretty much it. I mean, the 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 the, the blog post is still up there. If you type in how I screwed my Google acquisition in Google and in, in, in Google, it'll come up number one. <laughs> you can read about it in very detail. But yeah, so that um, that was a good lesson. But I was I was sort of lucky in that. In that process, I ended up meeting uh, Travis Kalanick, who started Uber. We met at a TechCrunch party, and he had heard about when after hearing about Prezo, he was he was you know impressed and wanted to keep in touch, and we did. And for a long time, um, he would contact me every few months, just checking in. He'd have one idea or another, like, "Hey, what do you think of this? What do you think of that?" And then uh, when Uber started going, and this is like, I think Uber started. In uh, June of 2010, he contacted me sort of in the fall and was like, hey, like this thing I'm doing is starting to work. It's called Uber Cab. And he's like, but the technology kind of sucks and things are we're having all kind of problems. And he's like, I know you have experience in uh, high frequency trading and doing these sort of mission critical, building these mission critical systems. So can you help me out? And uh, then he, um, he actually, uh, you know, he called me and he's like, he pitched me. He's like, look, I want you to be the CTO. Why don't you move to San Francisco? We're going to blow this thing up. And uh, I ended up turning down the CTO role, which in retrospect obviously sounds insane to people. But at the time, um, you know, I mean, it was already had angel funding. It was going. So it wasn't like I was going to own some big chunk of the company. And to me, owning a few percent of some, somebody else's startup and changing my entire life for, because of it was just not something I was interested in doing. Especially since I have a wife and three kids and we live down in Southern California. So I turned them down. But I did say – you know, look, I, I'm not I, I'm not interested in doing that and, and moving up there and, and being the CTO. But I said I can do some consulting work for you guys. And he's like, okay, well, you know, I'll take that, I guess, if that's all we can get. And uh, you know, luckily, um, you know, it turned out it turned to be a really nice consulting gig for me. But he ended up like a year later, just just to be a good guy, just said, hey, you know what, you've built a lot of great stuff for us. How about we just give you some equity anyway and give you some options or whatever? So. Um, I, I guess I got I got really lucky in the sort of startup lottery anyway, just from that. Yeah, that's awesome. So, Jason, yeah. tell us where can, can we keep can, up with you online? Yeah, you can. Uh, you know, I'm a well. I guess the easiest way is the podcast. I mean, we you know we, we do a show. My co-host and I do a show what once every week or two. It's called Texting. Uh, the show URL is TextingLive.com. Um, and we have like a, you know, whatever, like an hour, we do like an hour and a half discussion show. We talk about all these kind of random, you know, things we're doing, you know, stories like this. And if you find this stuff cool, then that would be the best place probably to, to keep up with us. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for coming on. Sure. Well, thanks for having me on. It's been a lot of fun. Then you can't tell me nothing
afraid I feel depressed as shit Cause my heart is in the future And I know where I belong It just takes time Fast forward now I'm 22 Half a million after taxes Just to make a couple songs And I don't mind Ain't afraid I feel depressed as shit I'll be a fucking warhol with this beat pad Let me paint and hold my crap It just takes time Fast forward now I'm 22 Making artists feel self-conscious From the honesty and soul And I don't mind Thank you. 